It's the vibrator that has no equal. And now, Motor Bunny offers their thrusting sex machine, the Motor Bunny Buck. Enjoy a fan whore discount at manwhorepod.com slash motorbunny or use promo code manwhore at checkout. The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by Alt Playground. APG is more than just a place to find couples to swap with. Alt Playground is a lifestyle community for all non-monogamous and sexually adventurous people to connect and share. And you know I started a profile. Join me over at altplayground.net. That's A-L-T playground.net. When your mission is beyond missionary, step up your game with Liberator. Their collection of transformable sex furniture and sex toy mounts will put you in sexual positions you never thought were possible. Use promo code MANHOR and save 40% off the best-selling wedge ramp combo at liberator.com. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Manhor Podcast. No, the COVID-19 vaccine will not give you herpes. The uh, esteemed news publication that is the New York Post. Uh, The New York Post, which, by the way, is a real-world newspaper that every day cosplays as an evil comic book newspaper. That New York Post. um, The New York Post, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch, who also owns Fox News. And it's important that you connect those two pieces together. That New York Post. The New York Post ran just the clickbaitiest of clickbait headlines uh, yesterday that reads... Herpes infection possibly linked to COVID-19 vaccine, study says. Now, you might be new to the podcast. I'm not, I'm not a scientist, okay? I'm not an expert on medicine or STDs or vaccines, uh, but my guest today is Dr. Ina Park. Hi. However, I do know a thing or two about digital media. I've been a writer, an assistant editor, an editor-in-chief. I was a fact-checker working with the legal department at three national celebrity magazines, and I studied this shit in college. Uh, Not to mention I've been producing this podcast for seven years. So, I, you know, I feel confident sharing this little nugget so you can be a a better digital media consumer before we just really get into it about STDs with Dr. Ina Park. Outside of the Associated Press, no headline is written – to give you information. Okay, this is really important. No headline is written with the intent of informing you. The headline is written with only two things in mind. One, putting keywords in a certain order to show up higher in Google search results or to be bumped up by Twitter and Facebook algorithms. Uh, It's called search engine optimization or SEO for short. The second purpose of the headline is just to get you to click on it. Because in today's world where you can't remember the last time you paid for a physical newspaper or magazine, clicks are king. This headline, for example, is meant to invoke a a possibly scared reaction to either make you scared of herpes or scared of the vaccine or ideally both so you will click on this article and maybe even read. The merit of the journalism is not even as important anymore to like the president of a newspaper. It's money, bitch. And this all wouldn't be that bad if we were a people who read articles. But we don't. Too many of us make life decisions off headlines of articles we did not read. And that's fucking dangerous. That's how we got to the Capitol riots on January 6th. The headline of this article was, Herpes infection possibly linked to COVID-19 vaccine, study says. Without reading the article, what else could you possibly think other than, oh, wow, maybe the vaccine can give us herpes or, oh, maybe the vaccine can like activate a dormant herpes strain or something. I don't know. It just sounds bad. The reality is that some Israeli researchers observed that six, one, two, three, four, five, six vaccinated people out of a very large amount of people who already had autoimmune diseases experienced nasty outbreaks of something called herpes zoster, commonly known as shingles. Shingles, yeah, it's herpes, but it's like not the HSV we know and love to hate. That's why the legal department can say, your honor, this headline is technically accurate as long as you read the rest of the article and you're not a fucking idiot. But most of us are fucking idiots, and we don't read the article because we're lazy. We're lazy fucking idiots. So... You know, someone who's just scrolling by this headline on Twitter is just going to think that the vaccine could give you herpes. It's fucking irresponsible. 
especially from Rupert Murdoch, who owns Fox News, which keeps putting out this anti-vax nonsense. Meanwhile, Rupert Murdoch himself got the fucking vaccine, but also wouldn't get the vaccine done publicly because he didn't want to. You see what I'm going here? And it's also in large part because we don't pay for shit. Anyways, if the headline, let's just say the headline's intention is to inform the viewer to maybe want to read more. And it's not just to get you angry or scared enough that you click. It would read shingles. That would be the summarized short version of an article. But that's not what a headline is. They say herpes because like herpes is a sexy clickbaity word. All right. People who are ambivalent about the vaccine might click a vaccine article if it says herpes in the headline because like now it involves their sex life. It's sexy. If the headline said shingles, too many people wouldn't know what that is. You go up to people right now on the street and ask, like, hey, hey, you want you want herpes or shingles? And people would just say, like, shingles, duh. And then you could be like, haha, it was herpes the whole time. Why am I telling you this? Uh, this, this is a sex and dating podcast, not a, a digital media journalism podcast. One, I want you to get vaccinated. No one is suggesting that the vaccine gives you any kind of herpes. Don't let that be the reason you don't get it. Two. I want you to stop regurgitating headlines to your friends on social media so you can seem like an interesting person who reads. Don't appropriate my culture, okay? If you want to be an interesting person who reads, fucking read. I'm not being elitist. If enough people say it out loud enough times, it becomes true. And finally, you know, third, if you can afford to, buy a physical magazine sometime. Pay for a digital news subscription to trusted outlets, you know, before recording this, I did renew my New York Times subscription for a year, so I put my money where my mouth is. Uh, if you can do a local media outlet, hey, that's even better. The more that journalism relies on clicks, the less trusted journalism can be, because that's what the whole internet is right now. It's National Enquirer headlines with occasional Washington Post-level writing, and with a country collectively suffering from ADHD, I mean, most of us just absorb the headline about bat boy sabotage and those 15 million Johnson & Johnson vaccines. You, you didn't hear about that? Or you, you knew about the 15 million Johnson & Johnson vaccines, right? You didn't see that headline about Bat Boy? He flew in through an open window and contaminated all of them. That was that's, that's how they got all fucked up. And, you know, an anonymous government official who did not clear the legal department, you know, he thinks they, that Bat Boy's working with China on this. I want y'all to get vaccinated because Man Con is coming, people, and I'm ready to announce dates. We've got Man Con dates coming to you in three, two, one. Man Con 2021 is taking place this year, August 12th through August 15th in upstate New York. More specifically, uh, in the near the Hunter Mountain area. I held a informational live stream this past Saturday, went quite well, had, had very good questions, already got people excited uh, for August. There are going to be uh, three groups of people who are eligible to reserve a room right now, and then on May 17th, I'm going to open it up to a wait list and the general public, but uh, the three categories of people who can reserve a man con space at the moment are uh, current Patreon members as of April 1st. Past Manhorcon attendees and past Peep Show members, you know who you are. If you're neither of those three groups, but you want to get early on that waitlist and you want to have first dibs on a room, uh, should one be available uh, in mid-May, hit me up with an email, manhorpod at gmail.com. In the meantime, I will be posting the slides. Uh, I'll be, I'm going to re-record the presentation uh, with just myself and I'm going to post that for free on my Patreon page. Uh, so if you don't want to miss that, head on over to patreon.com slash man or podcast, click the follow button completely free. Doesn't cost you anything. And then you'll get an update, uh, when I've posted that presentation. My grandpa died recently. Uh, I'm okay. Hi, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm fine. Made it to 88 years old. No one thought that man, the way he ate and drank and smoked, would make it to 88. And yet, um, I had some words written here, but I'm not feeling as connected to them except one word, creativity. Something over the last two weeks, week and a half, I, I learned was that my grandpa was artistic, that he was a creative type. I didn't know any of this. The, the man took over his father's construction business in New York City. I never thought of him as a creative type. And um, when I went to, I stopped by my aunt, my aunt Christine's uh, and 
she gave me this beer stein. If you don't know what beer stein, it's like a really big mug. It's like big in like German culture and shit, but they're very artistic. They have a lot. There's like usually a scene or they're very like elaborate um, art pieces almost on them. And I guess he got these ceramic beer steins that he then painted himself. And it's not like paint by numbers. Like he's adding in detail that's not like in the ceramic. He's clearly giving it his own look. I mean, the colors are blended nicely. Like it's well done. Apparently, Grandpa Joe, who was like a fat bastard, and I say that in a loving way, just he was really into the fat bastard character from Austin Powers. Get in my belly. And he, so he, he like was painting these beer steins. She brings out this vase and he painted that for my grandmother in 1988. What? He was just like a, um, he was just like into surround. He went through a phase of painting. He also loved the opera. He had like a lady friend who was apparently a strictly platonic lady friend. He would just go to the opera with and he would go in and out of a lot of these artistic hobbies. Um, Later on, you know, later on, he learned winemaking. He would latch on these creative hobbies. And that drew a line for me because my dad, business guy, my dad's like, yeah, you know, I've read three books my whole life. I didn't go to college. I own a company. Hey, Billy Presida, smoke a joint and close a deal. (laughs) Uh, I've never thought of him as artistic, except he would always be playing the guitar out on the back porch growing up. Usually some Grateful Dead tunes, maybe a little something else here and there. A lot of good loving and trucking. And Sugar Magnolia and Terrapin Station, a lot of those, a lot of dead hits. And he would just wail them. And he, I mean, he's not a great singer. He would be on the back porch with a cigar and like a glass of white wine and just like singing to nobody, just jamming out to himself. And I had always attested that to like he was a big Grateful Dead fan. I didn't think he was like musically talented, but the man taught himself how to play guitar. Now on YouTube, he taught himself by ear how to play guitar simply so he could smoke a cigar and play Grateful Dead tunes. I didn't realize there was a legacy in my family of creativity because we came from a family of people so focused on making money. Italian-Americans from North Jersey, New York City area, you, know, you got to make money. And my dad also is, a, you know, the few of you who have maybe met him, uh, he's very larger than life. He's a fucking character. You meet my dad for a few hours one weekend, you typically, you probably won't forget him. He lives his life how he wants and he doesn't really give a fuck what you think of how he lives his life. I didn't realize that there was creativity in my family. I thought I was the creative weirdo because I was the weirdo and I was creative. But I, I was never I was never super connected to grandpa. I was always connected to grandma because I was always more, you know, call me a mommy's boy if you want. I don't care. Uh, grandpa was mean and aggressive and masculine and macho. I'm a lot more like the men in my family than I have cared to think about or acknowledge. And my creativity is not a fluke. My creativity didn't come out of nowhere. My creativity came from the men in my family. And I shed a few tears on, uh, well, I'm feeling, geez, okay, where's this coming from? Uh, feel, <laughs> shit. That was not in the, crying was not in the rundown, Billy. Uh, I'm, I've been feeling a lot more connected with my family. And uh, with the passing of the final grandparent, finding a connection with um, with the men in the clan, men I, I previously thought I was somehow a I don't know emotionally evolved from, and maybe maybe not so much. Maybe, maybe it's there. Maybe it was always there, and uh, maybe they just uh, did not know they could show it, because uh, otherwise Grandpa would beat the shit out of them. Oh, all right. Well, before I get to this week's guest, Dr. Ina Park, let's do a real quick fan whore appreciation moment. Let's shake it out. Let's get a let's clear the air a little bit. All right. All right. All right. All right. I want to give a shout out to Andrew Bolton. It's not your real name. I know. But hey, your support feels fucking real. Thanks for supporting the podcast. And if you, too, want to become a member and support this uh, whore boy with a heart of gold and gain access to over 200 bonus episodes, access to uh, supportive, sexy communities like The Peep Show and more, head on over to patreon.com slash podcast. 
Again, you can support this podcast for just $2 at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Podcast. Dr. Anna Park, she's got a book out now called Strange Bedfellows, Adventures in the Science, History, and Surprising Secrets of STDs. This is the STD episode, everybody. Uh, there are a couple links to articles in the show notes, but for now, we're going to do a couple ad reads and... And let's go chat about herpes and more with Dr. Ina Park. The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by HotMovies.com, the ethical and affordable place to hashtag pay for some of your porn. You know, one, I've been working with this website for years at this point, and there's a reason why I keep working with them, because they truly do offer anything you could need. It's not a site for straight people. It's not a site for gay guys. It's not a site for people who like trans porn or kinky porn because they have hashtag all the porn. I think sometimes like, uh, you know, especially if I'm reading the titles, I'm, I, I don't always make it clear that they've got queer porn. They've got gay porn. They've got trans porn. They've got a lot of different types of porn um, on the on the site. So I'm just going to read some titles from the gayhotmovies.com section. OK, uh, including rim my twink ass three. Don't Tell My Wife, Volume 2, Ready to Attack 7. Oh, that one seems just, that seems aggressive. And, you know, who could possibly pass up on Daddy's Boy Whore, Volume 22? Look, oh, they have one that's called I Love New York. It's kind of sweet. Hotmovies.com, promo code MANHOR. The Man Whore Podcast is brought to you by AltPlayground.net, the place to go for your next non-monogamous adventure. Hey, APG is the lifestyle site that's blending all those different worlds of non-monogamy together. You're going to get relationship anarchists and swingers. You're going to get polyamorous people and kinky non-monogamous folks. You're going to get the, uh, the, the lifelong monogamous couple who enjoys an occasional threesome. All of them and more are available at APG. Yes. Why would you need any other lifestyle site? I don't think you do. Because the future's looking vaccinated. And you know what that means. An explosion of cum. Start getting ready for your next non-monogamous adventure at altplayground.net. That's alt, A-L-T, playground.net. As we age, our bodies are changing. Certain parts need more support than they used to. Other areas are getting a little sore or faster. And that's why it's important to make sex more comfortable. And that's where Liberator comes in. Liberator has been making fuck furniture to make sex more comfortable, more pleasurable, and last longer for decades. Their best-selling wedge ramp combo gets you in the right positions just a little easier, just a little bit more comfortable, which means you're ready to be in that position longer and harder. And you can get 40% off Liberator's wedge ramp combo when you use promo code MANHOR at liberator.com. Or you can click the link at the top of the notes to go right to the product. Again, 40% off their best-selling wedge ramp combo with promo code MANHOR. Or you can just browse around liberator.com and upgrade your sex life today. We had a moment right after the shelter-in-place went into effect in March where it was like a ghost town in the waiting room. I don't think people were too freaked out to have sex because people just didn't know... How bad I think is they were too scared gonna... to go to the doctor. I think people were still That's, fucking, oh, but they were, like, they, were, they, were, they were like, Tinder, that's safe. But Dr. Ina Park, I don't know where she's been. <laughs> well, all of the well, all of the above, right? You're like, I'm not going to go inside in a space with no ventilation with those dirty people or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I think people- I'm only- <laughs> no, Like no, the doctors, sure. I mean, not the other patients. You know what I mean? It's, we don't. You, they don't know where we've been. So I, I get that. I totally feel that. It's the people were like, I'm only going to go inside and make a huge risk if the outcome is I might come. Exactly. Otherwise, they don't want to take a risk. <laughs> that's right. the only thing they want to risk. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, and that's and you'll just see what people will go through, you know what I mean, for uh, and what they will risk to have their sexual pleasure. I mean, it's such a huge drive and we all need to do it. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that those early days of the shelter in place at the end of March. 
we know that the number of swipes on Tinder, you know, went crazy. Like they got up to 3 billion swipes, I think on March 29th, which is the highest number of swipes they've ever had. So people were still doing some sort of sex life online. Now it might've just been like virtual dates and might've been sexting and might've been, you know, like erotic video chatting or whatever, but some of those I think converted into dates in real life. And so after, you know, we had that little ghost town effect where, you know, people probably weren't having sex and they also weren't going to the doctor and then slowly just saw it sort of start to creep back up. And, um, I wouldn't say it's back totally back to normal, but in some places in the country, cause I have lots of friends at different sexual health clinics all over the country and the volume is creeping up so that we're probably at least, you know, 70% of what we were doing before. And we were doing brisk business before the pandemic. Let's just say that. <laughs> STD test, it was like printing money. It was. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was. It was like that. It felt like that. Or sometimes you'd walk in and you're like, oh my God, did someone just land a jumbo jet full of people with unhappy genitals like in our waiting room? It was crazy. <laughs> um it, yeah it, it, tell me why I'm wrong by the way why if if we all actually had stayed home and actually stayed home for two through you know two three weeks six weeks whatever and all had like in the meantime gotten an STD test why would we have not eradicated chlamydia because that was my first thought I was like that's going to be gone after this right right so I think first of all, there were some folks who probably had chlamydia, right? And they didn't get treated and it could sit there for months. So let's say you pressed pause for two months and you didn't have any other sex partners. You could have still had this like asymptomatic chlamydia infection that as soon as you pressed play again, you passed on to somebody else. But yeah, if everybody had taken, if we had done mass antibiotics for everybody and then everybody stayed, you know, that had an STD, mass testing, mass antibiotics, and then everyone hunkered down, then you're right. We would have no STD problem and I have no job. And I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd be, I don't know, begging on the street least, or whatever. <laughs> I figured at least like the ones like lower level ones that like you, like chlamydia that you can actually knock out. I thought yes. that those would have gone away, but apparently I was, I was incorrect in that. Well, but you know, uh, you know what's interesting? Yeah. You know, what's interesting, Billy though, is that when the CDC sort of released its preliminary data, the final data aren't out yet for 2019. It's, mm. you know, it's true. Like chlamydia was going absolutely apeshit. And then in the first quarter of 2020, it, and second quarter of 2020, it went down a lot, but that's part of, partially because people with chlamydia don't usually have symptoms, especially not women. And so, mm. uh, then the thing is, is lots of clinics either had to shut down or they had to reduce their services. So they're saying, if you don't have any symptoms, we don't want to see you. So we were, there's a lot of infections that went undiagnosed that I think, you know, now that things are opening back up, we're going to be picking back up again. Mm -hmm. So for example, like if we start seeing headlines, cause we've talked about crappy headlines attached to yeah. study abstracts before, uh, yeah. <laughs> if we start seeing like, yeah, right. It's like, we read a line in abstract and the editor was like, I grabbed a few SEO words. Let's put them in some kind of order yeah. and let's, let's misinform people across the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if we see like headlines of chlamydia spike post COVID, it might not actually be a spike, but rather people finally going out and getting tested where maybe before they weren't. So I think, well, I think the problem with that is, um, so the answer is yes. And I also think that there could be real increases because of what we sort of talked about earlier, which is that I think the whole roaring 20s is going to come back, you know what I mean? And people are going to make up for lost time by getting together with people, maybe doing more than they would have ordinarily, maybe saying, I don't really feel like using a barrier. So I think both could happen. I think there'll be all these undiagnosed infections that we're going to catch up on. And then I think there's going to be a bunch of new infections as people, you know, get going again. People for maybe forgetting how to use condoms and such. Uh, exactly. So like, oh my God, I haven't yeah. put one on in so long. I don't know. Or, you know, I haven't put, used one in so long. I forgot how to do it. Well, I went from having like a, a, you know, a girlfriend who I was fluid bonded with. I mean, we're poly, yes. but like, you know, we weren't using comms with just each other. And so yep. then we broke up in early January. So I'm like, it's not like I have to get used to condoms because it's not like I stopped having sex with other people with <laughs> condoms, but right. like certainly the frequency was down and yeah. now it's like <laughs> I got to get used to not being inside, 
in that way. Uh, but right now, you know, I'm banging yeah. out all my chlamydia questions because right now I'm talking with Dr. Ina Park. Uh, she's the author of the new book, Strange Bedfellows, uh, Adventures in the Science, History and Surprising Secrets of STDs. Uh, so this is why I'm just chlamydia heavy right now. <laughs> well, it's true. And you know what? I, I actually talk about, you know, a poly community in in the book because it's interesting how you would think that those communities where folks are swapping partners and there's lots of concurrency going on in terms of people having overlapping relationships, sexual relationships. In some communities, they, you know, testing is so frequent that actually, and the, the example that I use in the book is actually a community where a friend of mine actually, you know, lived, it was a residential community and there were very few STIs during the, you know, her stay there because people were testing so regularly, even though uh, folks were regularly swapping partners. So this whole notion of the fact that having lots of partners automatically means you're going to get an STI is just not true. And that's one of the myths I debunk in the book as well. Yeah, but if you're having a bunch of partners and you're not using condoms or using barriers, that's then then that logic of like oh well then naturally you higher risk like well yeah cuz you're not you're not wrapping it up or you're not laying something down yeah and it's in i think um it's also the way that you have sex with people which i talk about in the book as well because people who like hook up with somebody like let's say it's just like a one night thing and then let's say they test before they hook up with the next person and they have these like, sort of serial monogamous relationships even if the relationships are short that's actually a better way in terms of uh, avoiding STIs than somebody who like has like let's say three partners in their group and they go back and forth and back and forth in between you know each partner in a short period of time. It's the concurrency back and forth, um, especially if you're not fluid bonded to one person and you know what I mean. You're exactly you're not using barriers with multiple people. That's the setup for increasing and, you know, those STI rates. And if, if lots of people in the community are also, you know, not fluid bonded and pinging back and forth between people, it just, you know, exponentially augments the number of STIs in a community. Did I hear that right in there? Did you kind of pseudo advocate for, um, like staggered, <laughs> no condom use with testing combo type of thing? Did, did I hear that right? Where it's like, if you're, if you're not using a condom with somebody and only with them for a short period of time, and you do stagger and get the test, and then the next person you do that, you're saying that's like a mildly more responsible way of barebacking? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a way to manage it because, mm. I mean, Billy, let's like be honest, right? Some people hate condoms. They refuse. They never use them. I think them. they're children. I think well, I mean, they're it's true. Babies. Well, and they're like, you know, use any excuse and people stealth and like, you know, all kinds of bad behavior goes on. But some people are like, you know, they lose their like legitimately like lose their erection every time they, you know, put on a condom. I feel that I get that. So, you know, obviously from an STI perspective, using barriers is the best way to prevent all of this stuff. But you know, if you're going to manage it without using barriers, then yes, like testing in between people. It's the same thing with COVID, like, you know, spacing out your interactions and testing in between is the best way to avoid STIs if you're not going to use barriers. Yeah. So it doesn't mean like, hey, raw dog on Tuesday, get tested on Thursday, raw dog with someone else on Friday. It just no, means ideally, like no. raw dog with someone for maybe if you want raw dog with someone a few times, uh, maybe wait a couple weeks get a test and then you start doing that with someone else and stop with the first. So that's like a way exactly. to mitigate. Cause like, I'll be honest with you. I think, you know, you're right where I think you're right when you say like a lot of people are going to come out of this and be like, we all haven't been fucking that much. Maybe I can take some risk. Right. I took that risk. My first like non, exactly. my first going out date post my vaccine shot. Uh, Cause all my interactions have been very specific we'll call them Department of Health approved, you know. Oh, okay. Interesting. Jobs outside on the street or hang right. a glory hole in your apartment, which I'm retiring uh, next week because I'm moving. Um, <laughs> right. So, so I kept to that stuff. But when I had my first like real date connecting with a human, I asked a few questions. They were answers I could live with. Yeah. I was like, let's come on, let's do this. I'm so excited to be inside someone. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, and, but like, and someone I'm connecting with, like someone who I've yes. like, I'm enjoying your company so much. Uh, and I think we're going to see a lot of that. So I, that is an interesting way to, to mitigate that. So it sounds like I, in a week should 
go get a, a new test uh, <laughs> done. You know, I think it, yeah. especially if you think, well, I don't know if you're going to see this other person again, but yeah, that wouldn't be a bad idea. And I mean, Billy, everyone's going to go buck wild. Like think about all these people who were supposed to be in college, but they're like living at home with their parents. And, you know, oh. there's all this like unfettered sexual energy that needs to come out. So I'm going to be really busy for the next year or so, I think. Well, I mean, I hope you're not too busy. I hope you're busy more with the speaking engagements uh, than, <laughs> than the, the treating uh, rising STI, I, <laughs> rising STIs. Um, that's a, so real quick, can you tell me the difference? This has nothing to do with what we just said, but what is the difference between STD and STI? Because I think yeah. they introduced the latter, I think, when I was in college, but never really totally. fully explained it. Yeah, I talk about that in the book, like the very beginning of the book. You know, I have this whole section called, well, what's in a name? Because... You know, we used to call it back in the 70s, it was VD. I don't know if you've heard that term, Billy, but like venereal oh, yeah, disease. Yeah. yeah. So VD was like what we used to call it. And uh, venereal basically implies the word venery, which is like immoral sexual behavior. So there was this like attachment of judgment, you know what I mean, to the fact that you got an infection. And then you're right, like in the 70s and 80s and early 90s, then the term STD or sexually transmitted disease was in vogue. But then like in the 90s, we realized that there's tons of infections that actually don't cause any real disease. You know what I mean? They're just infections. Mm -hmm. They come and go like HPV, which I'm sure you've heard of, the human papillomavirus. You know, so basically every sexually active person gets that and 90% of people will just get rid of it in two years and not ever have any consequences. So it's like the silent and never even infection. Know they had it. And never even know they had it. And so yeah. it's the silent infection that just sits there and goes away. Well, why should we label people as having a disease, right? So people said, well, let's call it STI. And I say, you know, if that's less stigmatizing, let's, you know, let's go with that. Because I'm all about reducing stigma. Like that's the whole reason I wrote this, you know, book. Because mm -hmm. I was like, who's going to read a funny book about STIs? But that my whole point is like to try to use humor to reduce the stigma around these infections because all of us are going to get one and some of us are going to realize it and some of us aren't. But, you know, the point is, is that I want to normalize the fact that this happens to a lot of people. And so if using STI is the term that will help destigmatize the infections, then I'm all for it. Yeah, we could call STIs, you know, uh, happy windows and people would still be right. like, oh, my God, you got a fucking happy window. I know. Did you sleep with Jessica and got a happy window from Jessica? It's, right. <laughs> how, how do we actually get at the stigma as opposed to trying to rename things to make people feel better? Right. I mean, I think the way to do that is hopefully by normalizing and, uh, you know, it, essentially having people sort of come out and accept the fact that we're all going to get an STI. So like, I'll just give you an example. It's like CDC in at the beginning of the year and uh, the end of January, they released this statistic that one in five Americans has an STI right now, you know, and mm. it didn't get that much sort of traction because COVID and whatever, you know, the other stuff was blowing up. But I think my point with that statistic is essentially like right now, one in five of us has one. All of us are going to get something eventually. And I feel like if we sort of shift the frame in terms of disclosing an STI to somebody else and having that not be cause for rejection or cause for the partner freaking out, I think if that just becomes sort of like a shrug, like, oh, okay, you know, you had an STI, no big deal. If we could shift that attitude, I think that would really go a long way in destigmatizing, much more than just changing the words, right? I mean, right. the words are one thing, but we have to change the attitudes and the response that you get to the words, mm -hmm. you know, before we can actually change the way people feel about getting diagnosed. Do you need to disclose that you have had past tense in STI or, or is it really more pertinent for like, I have one or for depending on your stance, let's say something like herpes, uh, you're right. talking about whether or not you are having an outbreak or feeling like you might be coming on or for talking about HIV, yep. talking more about your viral load than whether or not you had or have, um, you know, so how, what, what is, what is like the common stance or what's your stance on various disclosures? I mean, so I have it sort of divided up in different buckets in my mind. So the first is around HIV um, and HSV, which is herpes simplex virus. So I think if you've got, you know, recurrent genital um, HSV or genital herpes, and or if you've got HIV, I think those are always things to disclose because 
for HIV, it's helpful to say, hey, I have HIV and I'm taking meds and I'm undetectable. And so, if, you know, if your virus is undetectable, your chance of passing on HIV to a partner, even if you're barebacking, is basically zero. Mm-hmm. So those are helpful terms for people to understand and give, be reassured that even though you're HIV positive, you're taking your meds and you're undetectable. So when it comes to HSV or herpes simplex virus, I also think it's important to tell people because also if you're taking meds to suppress, then you're not completely undetectable, unfortunately, because our meds are not good enough. But your risk of transmitting- but, but the contraction and transmission rate for herpes is like in the low single digits. Am I wrong? If you're you not know, having the- an outbreak? Yeah. So if you're, if you've had, if you've been living with HSV for, you know, two years or, you know, about two years, you're only shedding virus for like 10% of the days out of the year. So that can happen though, even if you're not having an outbreak Mm. and you don't know when those days are is the problem. So what you can do is you can take meds. It'll reduce your risk of transmitting to a partner if you're barebacking by like 50%, which is, which kind of sucks to be honest with you. It's not, it's not good enough. If you layer condoms on that, you know, that I I can't tell you exactly how much more protection that gives, but it does give quite a bit. So, right, you're getting into the low single digits here for someone who's taking meds and using barriers. But unfortunately, because I know because I have patients who disclose and sometimes they get rejected, you know, because the person says, I can't cope with that or I can't deal with that. And it's a big burden on the person who's living with the virus to have to do all the education or whatever, you know what I mean, to reassure the person that it's yeah. okay. So you I'm have to I'm, do a TED talk every time you try to like have it, some sex. Exactly. And how exhausting is that? And like suddenly you're like, now I'm not aroused anymore, you know, because I had to do it. It's all like I'm glad you're informed, but like I want to go home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think like so in terms of the gonorrhea chlamydia thing, once you get treated a week later, you're no longer contagious. So I think if somebody says, have you ever had an STI, like they want to go over your lifetime history, then I guess you have, you can, you know, disclose it. But if someone says like, hey, what's your STI status? You could say I'm all good. Because honestly, a week after that, you know, you took those antibiotics, you should be fine. And then, um, yeah, so those, those, it sort of falls into those two buckets for me. And then HPV is a little bit weird because if you had warts, like if you got a wart right now, I want to know about it. You know what I mean? Right. Before before I give you oral sex, it would be nice to know. But if you it's had only a wart, relevant if you're presenting. Yeah. I mean, well, because if you have a, like a remote history of it, like if you had a wart five years ago, I don't care because mm-hmm. most likely nothing's going on and it's not going to stop. I don't think it should stop anybody from having any kind of sex, you know, like a remote history of HPV because HPV just, you know, think about it like the common cold, like everyone's going to get it and give up on trying to prevent it. Honestly, just get a vac. you know, everyone should get a vaccine who's age eligible to do so. But mm. I don't try to encourage people to try to avoid HPV because there's no point. It's interesting that you put herpes more in the HIV bucket than the HPV bucket. Well, only because herpes, even if you have herpes for 10 years, you, you're still, because we have these really sensitive tests now to detect when people are shedding the virus. So oh, we really? know that, yeah, so we, we know that even like 10 years after you get infected, you still are shedding, you know, for about 10% of the days. It doesn't seem to go down that much over time. But again, you know, 10% of, of days is like in a, in a month, it's like three days a month you might be shedding, you know, if you're not having any more outbreaks. Mm-hmm. So, and then, but then how does HPV when you're not, when you don't have warts, does that not also spread silently as well? I guess I'm, I guess I'm confused why those are so, why they're different. Well, I mean, the thing with HPV is that most people actually just stop shedding virus altogether two years. Gotcha. If let's say you have a wart today in two years that, you know, it, like the wart, let's say goes away in like two months, Right. You might still be shedding virus silently there, but you know, after two years, most likely you are not shedding anything. So, mm-hmm. and and again, because HPV is so universal, it's little. It's a little bit different with with HSV or herpes because, you know, one in six f- folks in the U.S. has HSV two, which is the virus that causes genital herpes. But you know, HPV. 80 to 90 percent of people are going to have it at some point. So I just say. 
it's it's just you know a normal consequence of being a sexually active person is you're going to get HPV at least one type. Mm. You know, there's over 200 types classified now. Yeah, yeah. And with uh, with herpes, like, how much is uh, having like a cold sore? Is that right. something like if you if you get a cold sore, like I get a cold sore about like once every other year, once a year. Yeah. Is that something I need to be disclosing? You know, so that's um, that's a different virus. It's HSV one. You know that that the type that causes cold sores. So, right, but like my understanding was that they can both kind of end up in both spots at this point. No. Yeah. So the HSV two, which is the virus that causes most genital herpes, doesn't do that well in the mouth. But HSV one, which causes cold sores, is happy both in the mouth and in the genitals and in your anus. So I think if somebody says, like, if you feel like a cold sore coming on, you know what I mean? I think it's good to to tell folks, but someone oh, who yeah, has I cold avoid, even if I, even if I think I, I think I am getting a cold sore more than I get a cold sore. And I, right. I'm like, I stay away from people. I, stay, yeah. I, I don't touch myself. I got hand sanitizer next to the lube. Gotta not, gotta not confuse those two. But, uh, yeah. you know, I'm like extra cautious when then, cause I'm like nervous. I'm going to like drool down onto myself and then cause more issues. I mean, you know, more than half of us actually have those antibodies already. So mm. that's like a personal choice. Like it's not something that I tell people you need to disclose. You know what I mean? Mm. I would say like, Hey, if you, cause people who have cold sores, they know, or they think they know right when they're getting it, they have oh, yeah. really clear signs and symptoms that I say, Hey, if you feel that happening, I would say, you know what? I don't know if I should go down on you right now. Cause I feel a cold sore coming on. And then mm -hmm. that's all you know, I think, I think that's a good way to disclose, but the disclosure thing is super tricky. I don't talk about that so much in my book, but I do talk a lot about the differences between the two different viruses and different stories around, um, you know, how screwed up it is that we have so much stigma around something that's really just a skin. It's really just a skin condition. It's not going to kill you. It doesn't cause infertility. You know, there's really no like long lasting health consequences. And yet, you know, it is still pretty stigmatized, unfortunately. I saw uh, sometime last year, there was this article that was talking just about where like the origin of the stigma of her yeah. and how like it kind of dated back to I think it was like some big article in the 60s or 70s that like all of a sudden caused this like herpes panic, like in yes. the midst of the revolution, like all of a sudden people can't, like it's not like it was a new issue. It was just like all of a sudden people cared. Yeah, you know, it was 19 it was 1982 and um and I write about this and yeah, I write about this in the book. It was Time magazine. The cover picture is like it looks like someone wrote the letter H in blood like on the cover <laughs> and it says it and it says herpes and it's like the new scarlet letter. I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, talk about like a stigmatizing uh uh a article that would fuel any sort of negative feelings that people had. It had a a couple, this like white yuppie looking couple, she's wearing shoulder pads, you know what I mean? In her dress, it's very eighties. And, um, he looks like a wall street type or whatever, but inside the article, it's even worse because they talk about, uh, people with herpes describing themselves as like, I'm poisoned. I'm unmarriageable. How depressed they were. It was awful. I mean, it did nothing, for our cause in terms of trying to destigmatize STIs, it made things a hell of a lot worse, in my opinion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and I think, yeah, the, this, you know, the more people disclose like it's not a cancer diagnosis, uh, the more, no. you know, we kind of attack the stigma because then that person goes, wow, like I want to freak out, but this person's really calm. Maybe I should be right. calm. Maybe this isn't as big of a deal that happens a few times. Maybe they internalize that. The thing is like so many people yeah. want to get they want to talk about the risk. They want to know the things. So I am of the stance that like more information made me less scared of STD, STIs, STDs. I didn't, I didn't get any sex ed in, in high school. I got like zero. I learned the statutory rape laws of Connecticut for my boarding school. Um, and that was it. That's all they taught us every year. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Uh, we learned like the Romeo Juliet like statue and we learned that yes, a toe counts. So, you know, that was it. <laughs> and, and so when I got to college, I learned like, not just like, I knew there was a concept of STDs, but like, I didn't realize like how many they were, how you yeah. got the different ones. I was yeah. like, I like wrote an angry email to my headmistress. It was like, how dare you not prepare me with this information? But I got less scared of things. The more I learned, there are some people though, who like the more they learn, the more scared they are because they right. want to get the risk to zero. 
and have casual sex. And I won't, I think a lot of people are struggling with this concept of like, if you are, if you want to be an adult who has casual sex, you have to accept the risk of maybe catching something like this. Yes. There is no way around it, Billy. Like, right. People are trying to do this bargaining. You know what I mean? Like, if I do this, then I can cut my risk down to zero. Or if I only have sex with certain types of people, you know, this is not going to happen. And I'm here to tell you, I mean, I work in a sexual health clinic, right? So I see all kinds of people having sex in all different kinds of ways. There is no way to avoid this. I mean, even people who are 100% compliant using barriers. I have seen those people get STIs because also, you know, condoms, if you use them properly, generally don't break, but sometimes they do because things get dry and rough and thing, you know, they're, they're latex, they break. So any number of possibilities can happen. Also people sometimes, you know, as you know, get assaulted and they have sex against their will. So what I'm saying is like, you can't control everything when it comes to your STI risk. You can do a lot to mitigate it. And that's what I think people should do, you know, like use barriers. If, if they're concerned about HIV, they can take prep, um, you know, HIV prep, which I'm not sure if you've heard of Mm -hmm. that, Billy, but the daily pill to sort of prevent HIV. There's so much you can do, but once you do all that, then I feel like you should put that behind you in a, you know, in a separate sort of compartment psychologically and say, I've done what I can do now. Let me just go and live my life, have a great time, have lots of sex, enjoy myself. And then whatever happens, happens, you know, like an acceptance sort of mentality of the fact that we are human. We live with infectious diseases. We know that because of COVID-19. And that is absolutely true for sex. And it is completely unavoidable. Yeah. I mean, did you have, um, you know, and I don't know your life and, and your situations, yeah. but like, did you have that sort of acceptance moment at some point uh, in your life where you realized oh, like, wow, sure. you can't get this to zero? For sure. So I've had at least one STI that I know of um, that with my second partner. You say that with eight. such like pride. You just like you rolled the yeah. shoulders. You were like, <laughs> I've had one that I know of. What's right. up? No. <laughs> and who know and right and who knows what else is going on, but I'm going to tell you a couple things that I've learned from my own sex life. So, I got HPV from my second partner and how it showed up was it ended up causing precancerous cells on the cervix, which is that's a fun call to get by the way, Billy, you know what I mean when you're 23 and your doctor calls you and they're like, "Oh, by the way, you have precancerous cells on your cervix and we have to do some biopsies and make sure, you know what I mean? It's not Serious. So I had like a little moment of reckoning there and I realized like, wait a second, I've only slept with two guys. I got HPV from the second guy and, you know, I didn't have any judgment around it. Like I loved the guy and, you know, can I, can I curse on this podcast? I think I can. Like shit, ha- yeah, shit yeah. happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you know, shit happens, Billy. Like, and so that's, so I had a moment where I said, okay, I never felt like whatever you want to call it, like dirty or um, afflicted or whatever. I, I kind of realized, wow, okay, now I'm just another person who has HPV and now I might have a precancer. It all turned out to be fine and it all went away. But yeah, that was that was sort of my moment. But I'll tell you, like I write a lot about sexual networks and how we connect with people in space and time actually affects our ability to get an STI. And in the in one of my chapters, I talk about this thought experiment where I had sex with every parent in my kid's preschool to try to catch an STI, but it actually it doesn't happen because people my age have so like such low rates of chlamydia, for example, that even if I sleep with 30 people, which I tried to do in this fake sexual network, I would not catch anything. And so one thing I realized Sounds like a fun PTA meeting though. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. The other parents loved it. They were like, all right, let's do it. But one thing I realized, you know, just lessons from my own life is that I was afraid. I was afraid of catching other things and I was afraid of catching HIV, but the truth. And so I think I limited my number of partners because of that. But mm-hmm. like, if I had to do it all over again, Billy, I would go have more sex with more partners than I did. And now I'm now the problem is, is like I'm in this like committed monogamous marriage and I have two kids and I'm too tired to go out and like look for stuff. But um, 
yeah. So anyways, Billy, like it's when you understand like how sexual networks work and the fact that it's actually, you know, because you can treat, you can treat infections if you happen to get them. You shouldn't like, you know, limiting your number of partners can reduce your risk, but it's just not all about that. And, and, you know, even some people who have tons of partners don't catch anything. And people who I, I write a story in there about a, a guy that I was seeing who had only two partners, but he had gonorrhea like three or four times just because it was sort of ping-ponging back and forth between them. So, um, Billy, I think the take-home message is that I want people to have sex and as much sex as they want to and not to be afraid of STIs as the limiting factor, you know, for, for their sex lives and how they, how they conduct them. Apparently also, uh, everyone and, you know, 20 something Ina, uh, you're just saying if you could write her a letter. Yeah, exactly. Like, Go for it. Have fun. Um, it's interesting you bring up the networks because like, you know, we, we talked a little bit about like kind of poly networking or like the non-monogamous yes. world and how active they are. Not that they're perfect, not that, you know, non-monogamous people don't get STDs, but like right. we talk about that stuff pretty blatantly. Do you? Jeez, and yeah. Like, and I don't know, like if, if I'm talking to a monogamous person versus a non-monogamous person about STIs, I'm too, I trust the non-monogamous person way more because we will do things like an X and a years ago, we were, go, uh, <clears throat> a Saturday was coming up. I think it was like Thursday. We found out that there was maybe a chlamydia or gonorrhea exposure. I forget yeah. which one of us had the exposure, but like one of us had a partner said, Hey, I got tested positive for this. Y'all gonna get tested. Okay, cool. Um, but we had a play party on Saturday we were going to go to. You yep. hate getting that call days before an orgy, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, really, really can sully things. But, you know, we made, we still wanted to go to the party. It's where our friends right. hang out. So we just chose not to play with other people. And right. it was actually only in that space was I comfortable saying, I mean, I wasn't even fully comfortable until after saying and seeing the reaction. But like sometimes people would be like, oh, you guys want to like fool around? And we said, Actually, we're not playing with other people tonight. Uh, we had to get tested yesterday because of an exposure, you know, gonorrhea. Am I right? Yeah. And uh, and everyone's like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. And then like everything That's beautiful. was beautiful. Yes. Like, well, so add us. Yeah, no, please. No, I was just going to say it. I mean, it sounds like, like in your community, like you've developed a way to say it in this matter of fact and a language and and understanding between you. You know what I mean? That. Hey, we're not doing that right now because we're just making sure that everything is okay in this in this space. And uh, you know, a lot of folks who practice monogamy like aren't used to having those conversations. It's awkward for them and it just seems very fluid and not awkward for you, which is great. Yeah. And the, and the reason and this I think they I think they've done studies on this. I'm just a dumb comedian with a fuck show, so who knows. <laughs> but uh I I vaguely remember this like <clears throat> It being said, like, yeah, well, like my not like a monogamous couple is if someone cheats, they're not going to and they don't use protection and they catch an SDI, they're way more likely to give it to the partner because they won't even tell the partner that they got the SDI because they have to explain without blaming it on a toilet seat, uh, you know, exactly. how they got that STI, which they shouldn't have been fucking in the first place. We can disclose that shit to each other because like it's okay to go fuck the other people so that's the yeah. fucking other people part is not the scary part for us right uh whereas in like you know the monogamous couple they've got like two barriers to get through uh, yes but if people could just you know i that's why i if i'm pulling like long term like doing a fluid bonding i'm really selective who i do that with over the long term because i gotta trust you care about me more than right. us as a unit. I got to yep. trust that you care about me enough. You're going to tell me that I might be at risk of something or that you didn't use a condom with someone. So even if you didn't get like a, a test result thing back, you just, you fucked up. You made a mistake. You didn't use a condom. I got to trust yep. you're going to tell me that at the risk of maybe even me breaking up with you, but that you care about my bodily health more. And yeah. that's, that's always been really important to me. Yeah, that is huge, Billy. I think- you know, when people ask me, well, what is your advice, you know what I mean, for for me in terms of how to navigate my sex life? And I, it's, it's a hard thing because obviously, you know, it's so individual. But in the end of the book, I was trying to give some sort of advice and I was trying to make it seven words. 
because I was copying. I was back copying. from an executive. They were like, yo, can you give this to us in like seven words? Not six. Nine's too many. Can you make yeah. it seven? <laughs> no, you know why? Because um, do you know Michael Pollan wrote a book um, where he gave a, a man- seven-word manifesto about how to eat, which is eat food, not too much, and mostly plants. And I was like, I'm going to come up with seven words. So I was like, have sex, not too much. And then I couldn't come up with the other. So I came up with, I scrapped that and I came up with like, have sex with people that you like, which is sort of another way of saying like, don't have sex with jerks and assholes or, you know, another, another way of saying it in, in the, in the negative, I guess, but um, have sex with people that you like. And, and that's because I think when you are going to fluid bond with somebody, you need to be able to trust them. What you're saying, Billy, is absolutely true. Like you are putting your sexual health in another person's hands to a certain or whatever, in, in another person's genitals to a certain extent. And you need to know that they're looking out for you and that they're not a jerk and that they're not, you know, going to be careless. And so I say, like, I advise people, hey, until you know if this person's a nice person or not, or this person's a trustworthy person, like, hey, use barriers until you know what's going on. And then, and then, like, you know, fluid bonding to one person or, you know, a very small number of people is also another good way to go. And sometimes if an STI enters the picture, if there is something redeeming about that person, you have less regret. So I can't minimize your risk of getting STIs other than using barriers and, you know, being selective with partners. But what we can do is reduce the risk of regret if an STI or HIV enters the picture. And I'll tell you that the people who I see who have the most regret are people who didn't know, you know, like they were either too high or too drunk to know, even remember what happened. And then they end up with an STI or HIV that, you know, that's just always so hard. And then the other piece is when people are like, I don't even like that person. They're kind of a, I I just, I don't know why I did it. I just did it because, and now I have to deal with this. You know, like, I think if you're like, God, I, I shared that moment and I took this risk with someone I don't even like, who's kind of a jerk. I, you know, those people feel a lot of regret as well. So (laughs) <laughs> I don't even like that guy. Why'd I sleep with him? Now I have an STI. Damn it. I, I had, I had that, I had a, that fantastic encounter with that, that first day. It was, a, it was mutually, we have acknowledged that it was great first date, great vibes. But then like four hours before the second date, she, uh, she was like, uh, she went out the night before with her tra- more traditional bad boy type. And uh-huh. I was like, I don't know. I think I'm feeling this thing more. And now I'm just like, Man, I really hope I didn't catch something from you because I thought this was like the beginning of something. Something else, exactly. Because um, <laughs> I'm a moron. <laughs> um, you know, it seems like, yeah, knowing who you're banging, uh, especially yeah. if you don't want to use barriers, so so huge. You know, in your in your twenties, you know, you said, said you said you kind of pulled back a bit. You know, you got that you got that call. Luckily everything was okay. Yeah. You it sounds like you sexually pulled back. Did you ever feel comfortable? revving back up did you ever get to a point where you're like that was an experience i had and that's informing this not like like the reality was not as scary as your response to it was you know by the time i knew enough that i would feel comfortable revving up i was already like in a committed relationship mm-hmm. with the person that was going to become my husband so that's why i'm telling you billy i missed my chance <laughs> <laughs> which is why I'm telling everybody listening now so that they can get going before they might settle down long-term with somebody. But yes, For no, sure. I think, yeah. I mean, I just had, I was in these sort of long-term serial monogamous relationships that were like very sexually satisfying because you get mm-hmm. to know someone over time and and they get to know what you like and, and you get to explore together. But um, yeah, by the time I really figured it all out, I was already on the downhill to being committed with somebody. So like I said, I'm going to, when I'm reincarnated, Billy, it's going to be game on. (laughs) Do you, but do you ever, do you ever think about, oh man, I wish I had done, you know, that time period differently. I mean, does that, is that a conversation that comes up as the, the concept of testing out something that was not pure monogamy? Does that ever come up? Because you're like, hey, oh, could have been. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think. I definitely had, um, you know, folks 
so I'm, you know, like I'm a cis hetero person or whatever, but I had multiple, you know, women approach me, but I was like in a committed relationship with someone else and I hadn't negotiated the whole non-monogamy thing. So then I had to say no to this experience, which in retrospect, like I think could have been great, you know? And, um, and I talk also about like women who have sex with women. It's, it's harder for them to give things like chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis to each other. So it's actually from an, from a certain STI perspective, actually lower risk. They can still, you know, easily transmit like herpes and HPV, but getting a bacterial STI from another woman is actually not that easy. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I passed up different opportunities that I probably, if I were to go back, I would take them now knowing what I know about STI and HIV risk. Yeah. And HIV risk, HIV transmission between women, by the way, is very uncommon. It's happened as far as I know, maybe just like less than five times that I've read about. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I was like, I think it, it, like, it always had to do with like someone being on like their period or there being a cut, you know, it's right. Like, it I mean, any like of that, a- right. That kind of stuff can happen or, you know, people are play, play rough, obviously, which can cause tears and things like that, you know, mm-hmm. so that kind of stuff can always, you know, bring infections into the picture when you're having, you know, like trauma or cuts or tears or things like that. Um, you know, especially due to like the AIDS crisis, the the talks around STIs around queer folks like just yeah. skyrocketed when we you yes. Know, I mean, first it was the it's all, it only happens to those people, and then we realized then straight people had to get a little humility and and <laughs> learn it can happen to you too. Thanks, Rock yep. Hudson and uh, and Magic, and then and, and but there's a lot of emphasis that they're um, that LGBT people are at higher risk for STIs. Um, is there a reason? why they're at higher risk. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for, let's just take cis men who have sex with men. I think Mm -hmm. on average, you know, um, men have sex with men would have like more partners than like your average cis hetero woman. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so a greater number of partners, a you know, faster rate of partner change and, um, more concurrent relationships. I think all of those add, you know, I think, um, and in general, like in the whole country among younger people, whether they're LGBT or straight or whatever, people are using condoms less and less when they first start having sex. So I think that whole combination leads to that. Also the sexual, like the population of LGBTQ folks who are having sex with each other is much smaller and more dense right? So um, it's also then easier to concentrate infections in a certain population if people are only sleeping with each other, whereas the number of heterosexual people that are available to have sex with is such a larger pool, right? That the infections don't tend to concentrate as much inside of the networks because there's a lot of places where people can go for sex. Whereas like, let's say if you have very particular tastes, like if you're somebody who really only likes to sleep with trans women, for example, the community of partners, potential partners is so small, you know what I mean? And the chance of people having overlapping relationships is so much greater that the STI risk and HIV risk does go up, you know, when you mm-hmm. reduce the number of people that you want to sleep with. Gotcha. Like, yeah. the t- you know, like if you were like, I only like a certain type of person, you know what I mean? Then that does possibly increase your, your you know, your risk of catching STIs or HIV. Uh, well, Dr. Ina Park, you know, uh, where can people find you? Where can people find your book, Strange Bedfellows? So it's everywhere where books are sold, you know, Amazon, IndieBound, Bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, wherever you can buy a book, you can buy mine. Um, I totally appreciate your support and you helping me reduce stigma around these infections. And I promise you that you're going to laugh because I'm in there doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, <laughs> and I'm on Twitter at Ina Park MD. And or you can come visit my website, which is uh, Ina Park, all one word, I-N-A-P-A-R-K dot net. So hope Fantastic. to c- connect with you all soon. Absolutely. Everyone go check her out and uh, and get the book. And Ina, why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody. Bye, everybody. Have sex with people that you like and have a good time. So who wants to get tested in Raw Dog? Because I think she's convincing me to loosen up a bit. Probably not the best idea, but hey, she's a doctor. She said so.
No, uh, folks, I'd love to know what you thought about this week's episode. Uh, come in and let's talk about STDs and whether or not we use condoms together uh, in our free Discord server, The Champagne Room. I'll have a channel dedicated to episode 380 with Dr. Ina Park. Uh, but there's also channels about all sorts of other topics. We even have a channel completely dedicated to pictures of your pets. You can gain access to that free Discord server at manorpod.com slash Discord. I'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, folks, My, you know, I'm sure you're following me on the various social media channels by now. I'm at the Billy Presida, pretty much anywhere you want to find me, except for Instagram. But I'll have a, a link to all those in the show notes of this episode. Most importantly today, I could not, would not, should not be doing what I'm doing still seven years later without the incredible support of my Patreon community. So if you'd like to support this podcast and keep a roof over Billy's head, the best way you can do that is by becoming a member on Patreon. Become a member today for just $2 or more. You can do more. I'm always happy when it's more, but I'm also thrilled when it's just there. Uh, Become a member today at patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. And if you want to support me in a way hornier fashion, you can always come follow my free OnlyFans. Billy, if it's free, how are we supporting? Ah, if you want to see my dick, you got to pay a little bit to unlock. But it's free to follow and thirst and chat at OnlyFans.com slash CallMeBilly. Um, posting content right now uh, that I shot with Lucy Moon, uh, who, uh, oh my gosh, folks, I think I did porn. Oops. Like there was a tripod. There was a phone set up. We were fucking. I watched it last night while I was masturbating. I was like, oh, my God, we, like, fucked, like, in a porn. So I, th- I think I did the porns. Someone call Nina Hartley. I think I'm ready. I th- <laughs> Is anyone truly ready for Nina? I, I-, I doubt so. But, <laughs> yeah, I think you can finally start to watch the Man Whore Podcast guy do the Man Whore Podcast things at OnlyFans.com slash CallMeBilly. Folks, uh, you know, I know we got a guilty, guilty, guilty verdict, but we're not, not, not done yet. By the time you hear me again next week, I hope you have uh, asked an answer to yourself. How have I recently spoken out against systemic racism? Until next week, everybody, stay slutty. Hotmovies.com has long been an ethical and affordable place to hashtag pay for some of your porn. Now with Hot Movies Select, customers gain access to unlimited viewings of tens of thousands of additional films from all their favorite studios for the low, low price of $24.95. Visit HotMovies.com, click Select Unlimited, and use promo code MANHOR at checkout so they know who sent you.